As a small boy learning to say the Lord's Prayer, as many of us did, I was always bewildered by one particular line, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Granted, this was not the only confusing concept in this prayer, but it seemed not only confusing, but highly inconsistent. You see, being Presbyterians and heirs to the Calvinist-inspired Industrial Revolution, we did not trespass. We debted, as in, forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. To make matters worse, when I compared notes with classmates at school, I discovered that in some churches, people neither debted nor trespassed. They sinned. Imagine having to say, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Heavy. (laughs) Matters were further complicated by the practical definition of trespass. When you are the son of a cattle rancher in Montana, like I am, when someone trespasses, they are simply on your land without your permission. How could trespassing be part of the Lord's Prayer? Being on the right side of a fence or the wrong side seemed rather trivial to me. But I was not lobbying to get trespasses changed to sins. Be it trespasses, debts, or sins, we all do bad things to other people, and other people do bad things to us. I wish I could report that we who have gathered here this morning have reached a higher level of consciousness and are no longer in need of forgiveness, but I can't report that. Unitarian Universalists tend to squirm a little bit when sin is mentioned, but we are just as human as anybody else on earth and just as much in need of forgiveness and reconciliation. I'm sure that you've heard the old quip, about how the Universalists were convinced that God was too good to damn them and the Unitarians were too good to be damned. (laughs) There are days when I think that there's just a little bit too much truth in that old saying. What a disservice we do ourselves if we imagine that we are above reproach. What great injury we inflict on ourselves if we somehow feel that we are not in need of the same forgiveness that others freely seek. How lost are we if we somehow feel that we have evolved religiously beyond the need for confession, contrition, and repentance. How irrelevant we have made ourselves and our churches. But let us not forget that we stand on both sides of the occasion of the equation we cause injury to others just as surely as others cause injury to us and the religious life calls us to respond to injury differently rather than perpetuating it the religious life demands that we stop the cycle of violence Jesus of Nazareth is famously remembered for having said, You think an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but is that going to get us anywhere? He continues, Here's what I propose. 
don't hit back at all. If someone strikes you, resist the urge to strike back. If someone drags you into court and sues you for the shirt off your back, gift wrap your best coat and make a present of it to that person. And if someone takes unfair, unfair advantage of you, use the occasion to practice the servant life. No more of this tit-for-tat stuff. Live generously, he says. Of course, we know that Jesus is completely crazy. No one in his day or ours would think of not defending themselves. No one in any court of law would think of giving more than he or she was sued for. And all of us work very hard each day not to be taken advantage of. We have thousands of laws in our country to ensure that justice is done. So yes, Jesus was completely crazy, crazy like a fox. In his famous turn-the-other-cheek comment, this wise rabbi knew that he was upsetting the social order. He knew his words flew in the face of everything people considered right and wrong. He knew that what he said was so preposterous that no one would actually take him seriously. And then he brought his message home by adding, You are familiar with the old written law that says, Love your friend and its unwritten companion, which says, Hate your enemy. I'm challenging that, he said. I am telling you to love your enemies. Let them bring out the best in you, not the worst. Just when we think that Jesus couldn't be more confused, he goes and tells us to love our enemies. What the heck are we supposed to do with that? At their core, Jesus' words ask us to do the same thing that the Buddhist sutras do. They ask us to interrupt the chains of cause and effect, creating violence in our world. Rather than getting caught up in the literal meaning of Jesus' words, we should understand him to say, don't just react. Look at yourself. See where the violence is coming from and then do something different about it. Don't just react. Wise teachers have always known that the only power most humans have is the power to control their actions, and more importantly, the power to control their reactions. We have some control over what we do and where we go. We have even greater control over what we say, how we respond to others, and what gets our goat or not. Jesus is not saying that we should take a beating. He's suggesting that we use every moment of transgression as an opportunity to write the ending of the story differently. Think for a moment about the argument you had last week an argument with a parent or a child, an argument with a spouse or a co-worker? Did you fall into a habitual pattern with this person? Did the argument have a typical outcome? Can you see how that argument 
might have ended differently? Can you see how you might have reacted in an unexpected way? Think of a time last week when you were slighted. Maybe a stranger cut you off in her car. Maybe someone crowded in front of you in line at the bank or the grocery store. Maybe a telemarketer interrupted your afternoon by calling your cell phone. Maybe the outcome of a meeting didn't go your way. Think of a time when you were slighted last week. How did you react to this slight? Did you take it personally? Did you blow your horn or look daggers at the other person? Did you tell that telemarketer off like I did? (laughs) Did you leave that meeting thinking that the whole committee was out to get you? It is only in seeing how we can control our reactions to the little slights in life that we will ever learn to control our reactions to the big ones. When you are ready to live a resilient, peaceful life, then you will be ready to learn how to sincerely confess and forgive. The lucky thing is that none of us has to learn how to forgive and confess alone. None of us has to figure out how to change our reactions in isolation. Each of us has abundant teachers and companions in this work. Each of us is here this morning, eager to learn how to live more resilient and more peaceful lives. We practice religion together, and for this we can each give thanks. First Parish in Concord is an amazing group of people. There's no place I'd rather be. We covenant each week to care for one another, to encourage one another, and yes, to admonish one another when that is necessary. Together we hold the joys and the sorrows of this congregation's people. We care for our children and for our elders. There is no better place on earth to practice the religious life than here with us. What I want us to do as a congregation is really take to heart the idea that we can act and react differently. I want us to be ever mindful that what we do in this world really matters. And even more, I want us to be ever more mindful that what we resist doing also makes a difference in this world. Let me tell you what I'm talking about. One of the hallmarks of this congregation is its very high standards. At First Parish, we do things right. The building is beautiful, the flowers are beautiful, the classrooms are well-stocked, the newsletter is perfectly edited, the music is top-notch, the potlucks are sumptuous, the social justice projects are tasteful and sincere, All the women are strong, all the men are good-looking, and all of the children are well above average. (laughs) There is nothing at First Parish in Concord that cannot be made more complex, more beautiful, and more perfect, and mostly this is a good thing. (laughs) It is a good thing until it gets in the way of real human connection. It is a good thing until it no longer leaves room for brokenness, guilt, shame, 
and remorse. One of the most painful things that I have heard about First Parish in Concord is how some families and and individuals feel the need to pull away from the church when their lives take a turn for the worse. Rather than being seen as a place of support during a divorce or the loss of a job or a house, some people have stayed away from First Parish out of shame. Rather than being seen as a place where parents might be upheld during a teenager's drug addiction or eating disorder, some families have stayed away from First Parish out of guilt. Rather than being seen as a place where tears are welcome, some people have avoided First Parish after the death of a spouse or a child or a parent out of brokenness, a brokenness that somehow did not feel welcome here. My people, we have to change this. We have to change this. Our congregation should be the first place people come when their lives have been turned upside down. Our congregation should be the first to say, oh, come on, appearances really don't matter around here. What we want is to see you. How can we help you? Church is the place where you get to practice living the way you would like to live in the rest of the world. Think about it. It's the place where you get to practice living your life the way you would like to live it in the rest of the world. Church is the place where you get to try leadership and followership. Church is the place where you get to be kinder than you ever thought possible. It is the place where you get to practice acting and reacting in a different way. Church is where you get to learn to love yourself more, knowing that it will help you love others more, too. This is our workshop. I don't know what it would be like to say the Lord's Prayer here, and I'm not even going to try it. I don't know whether it would mean anything to me or to you or not. What I do know is that a line like, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us is not going to get us very far as a group. A line like, forgive us our debts like we forgive our debtors is only going to lead us further off the path. But a line like, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us, that might make us stop and reflect. Because the Lord's Prayer makes it clear. We will only be able to take in as much forgiveness as we are capable of giving ourselves. If we are not ready to forgive, we cannot expect much forgiveness from others. Only when we are open to see the hurt in others will we be open enough for people to see the hurt in us. Only when we are willing to get past the slights of others, will others be willing to offer us forgiveness in return. The most amazing thing about this forgiveness stuff is that each of us can start right where we are. There is no timetable for getting it right. There is no deadline for completion of the task. 
There are no standards to uphold. There is no perfect way to forgive. We all just get to be messy and imperfect and clumsy as we try to sin less ourselves and forgive others more. In this work, we must rely on grace. We must rely on amazing grace. We seek to be able to sincerely sing the words of that great old hymn, which says, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found. I was blind, but now I see. So be it. Amen.